0: Facebook has been in hot water for years now. Russia used it to meddle in the 2016 election. A company revealed last month that a Russian firm with links to the Kremlin bought more than $100,000 worth of ads on Facebook between June 2015 and May 2017. The algorithm has been boosting misinformation about COVID-19 and vaccines.
1: With a new surge in COVID cases among the unvaccinated, the Biden administration is blaming, in part, misinformation spreading on Facebook and other social media.
0: And most recently, Trump supporters used Facebook to organize their attack on the U.S. Capitol in January. In the weeks beforehand, there were over a million mentions on social media of storming the Capitol. Maps were shared of the building's layout. There was talk of bringing weapons and ammunition. And discussion over which lawmakers should be targeted first. And because of all of this, lawmakers are breathing down Facebook's neck. Still, the company has faced little to no real consequences. But after last week, pressure's mounting further. The Wall Street Journal has been publishing bombshell reports about how Facebook has been handling these issues internally. And it turns out in many cases, Facebook knew there was a problem, but did nothing about it. Jeff Horwitz is a lead reporter of the Facebook Files of the Wall Street Journal, and he's here to tell us more. Hey, Jeff. Hi there. So Jeff, a lot of the information you've revealed comes from internal company documents and research. To start, can you give us a brief overview of what these documents are and what the top
1: line findings are of what they tell us? So I would say the the stuff we've got is pretty heavy on research, Facebook's own research, as well as just kind of documents from inside Facebook Workplace, which is the company's internal messaging system, kind of what they use instead of email. The material uh, covers executive presentations, covers research findings, covers discussions of sort of operational issues.
0: And you also talked to several people at the company, formerly at the company, some of them on the record, some not. But can you say, you know, how many people you talked to to supplement the findings that you were getting out of this research?
1: Yeah. So I think we were probably ended up being north of a couple dozen Um, and that's. I mean, I've been covering the company for two and a half years. So at least had, you know, I'm definitely not the oldest of hands on the beat, but, but had, you know, something built up there. And then also, I think a lot of people did really interesting research and they left the company because they were frustrated that they didn't feel like it was being used correctly.
0: Right. So now we want to kind of dive into some of the findings from these five articles so far. The first one was about a controversial program at the company called CrossCheck. What is CrossCheck and why did it become controversial at
1: Facebook? So CrossCheck, it was initially created uh, as a program called Shielding. And the whole point of Shielding Accounts was that Facebook kept on messing up in high profile circumstances and just catching hell from it from everyone. So, like Rihanna and a French magazine cover that was too risque for the platform, you know, got, uh, you know, her ta- account got sanctioned and boom, kicks off days of like terrible press. Or, you know, they take down somebody's political account who's a prominent political figure and, you know, boom, people assume it's Facebook, you know, just basically censoring people. And no, actually, most of the time, when Facebook takes action against high profile people, it's because they messed up. And so they had kind of these, what was supposed to be this quality control measure, but then over time, because the only truly safe way to ensure that you would never erroneously make an enforcement error, even with some extra levels of you know, protection, was to not enforce at all. And so there ended up being a class of users on the platform who were like just completely exempt from the rules. If you were important enough, when you were definitively had broken Facebook's rules, there's no question the account shouldn't be on the platform. They wouldn't take it down. They'd give you 24 hours to like maybe even a little more to like take it down anyway because they just really didn't want to tangle with you. And like this is completely incompatible with Facebook's entire line about how they are supposed to be like giving everyone a voice and kind of this extremely democratic platform. Like this is just reentrenching the powerful and they knew it.
0: So basically Facebook ended up with a system where VIPs were treated differently, have a different set of rules or enforcement of rules as everyone else. Can you give us some examples of a time when a high-profile user got away with breaking a rule that any normal person would have probably been kicked off of Facebook for?
1: Yeah. I mean, so there's there's a few of them, right? So Neymar um, is one of the world's most famous soccer stars. <laughs> And he is also one of the world's most famous Instagram influencers. And so he um, has like 150 million followers on the platform, um, is, you know, nearly as big on Facebook, uh, is just like, you know, maybe the top 20 accounts in the world. So um, he in 2019 was accused of rape by a Brazilian woman. And his defense of himself, which he live streamed on Instagram and Facebook, was that in fact this was an extortion attempt and that everything had been consensual. And the way he attempted to prove that to his viewers was by showing this his chats with this woman, uh, which included um, her name and also some nude photos of her, to his audience on the platforms. This is something that's a complete no-go on Facebook. It's called non-consensual nudity uh, within the company. It is also referred to colloquially as revenge porn. You know, just showing nude pictures of somebody without their consent is supposed to be like, one, it's supposed to come down immediately, and two, under Facebook's operational guidelines, the account that posted it gets deleted for good, is the idea. In this instance, because Neymar was so heavily cross-checked, so heavily protected, efforts to take down the post this happened over a weekend, did not succeed. So basically the thing stayed up for more than 24 hours. It was viewed 56 million times by Neymar's fans. Wow. And kind of resulted in this like torrent of abuse. I think the thing that's most notable about the end of this in terms of the sort of privilege given to high-profile accounts is that when they finally did catch on, right, they didn't do what they normally do, which is just take down Neymar's account. Um, instead, they like bumped it up to senior leadership. And now the documents don't speak as to who made that call. But after consultation with senior leadership, they departed from their regular practice and they let Neymar stay on the platform.
0: And what's especially damning is documents that you reported on show people inside the company concerned about this. And as you're saying, flagging it up the chain, Right about this cross-check system not being fair? And what ends up happening when when these people are flagging that? The
1: company in mid-2020 had concluded that whitelisting in particular was just completely abhorrent and uh, a breach of trust. And, you know, we are not doing what we say we do publicly. And, you know, just there are so many damning quotes from the company's own review. Your proposal emerged in in 2020 to um, just... Like, look, this thing's a mess and it's clearly a problem for us and we haven't figured out how to fix it. We should make it public. At least people should know what the rules are. Mm-hmm. And um, that was absolutely a no-go. Um, I mean, I think there was an understanding that the company was going to take um, a pretty nasty hit if this stuff got out and uh, they decided against doing that. And I think, I mean, that and that sort of reluctance to disclose applied even to their own oversight board. They asked specifically about cross-check. They asked for data. And like, you know, things I can see from the stuff I've been giving is they had an entire dashboard of like statistics related to cross-check and sort of how the process was going, how bad things were now. Um, You know, like this was set up to try to monitor the quote unquote get well plan um, that Mm -hmm. they built internally. And so the data's there. And Facebook just goes to its oversight board and says, gee, like we wish we, we could help you out. Here's an explanation of the program. But we just don't have the data. We can't even gather it. Sorry. And, like, the data's there. Uh, They've got the data.
0: Yeah, and this seems to be a pattern for Facebook, right? The company is aware of flaws in their operation. They conduct studies to find out those flaws. Then they don't disclose, or they even publicly downplay those problems to the public. One example of this, another one, is Instagram and the toxic effect it can have on teenagers. Can you tell us a little bit about Facebook's internal research on that, that you discovered.
1: So they did the research and they found some like pretty blunt, pretty bad stuff in terms of not just social media in general, but their product in specific. Some of the competing apps like TikTok is about performance, like dance routines, comedy, things like that. And then Snapchat was about kind of the face and silly filters and kind of communicating directly with your friends. Whereas Instagram found that it was about the body and it was very competitive and that in some instances, particularly for users who were not in a good place mentally, could be really rough on them. Um, basically just like forcing them to compare themselves with other people who were, you know, happier, smarter, funnier, prettier than they were. And so they found this stuff It was like obviously pretty bad, damaging. It certainly wasn't something they ever intended to have be the case, but it turns out that's what they did build. And then the question is, so what do you do now? Mm -hmm. And I think the interesting thing is that there are some like pretty heavy overhauls you could do in terms of changing what types of contents on the platform and things like that. But I don't know that Facebook is so far willing to do them. They're like looking at nudges, kind of like they do with eating disorders, which is if you're viewing too much of one type of content, Facebook might just send a note saying, hey, are you okay? You know, maybe you should take a break, right? Um, Which is not a bad thing, but given what they know about, users' lack of self-control on this doesn't seem like it's something that goes to the, the heart of the matter. And they've, they've acknowledged as much, right? Like, I don't think Instagram isn't saying, you know, give us six months, we'll have this sorted out. They're, they're saying that, like, basically, it's hard to move the needle on this stuff.
0: Another major finding from your reporting was that in 2018, when Facebook overhauled its newsfeed algorithm to boost meaningful social interactions, it actually ended up provoking people to share more angry content. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this went wrong?
1: So Facebook, after it had ro- rolled out what they called meaningful social interaction, which was basically this engagement ranking-based change that promoted, one, friends and family content, which was good, um, and two, promoted more content that really did well at getting people to sort of pound their keyboard one way or another. And they didn't appreciate how much content that makes people engage, if you design for that, you tend to get content that makes people angry. So over the course of a number of months, they basically started realizing, one, that this was resulting in kind of an angrier news feed, and two, that all sorts of entities, whether it was political parties or BuzzFeed's Jonah Peretti, were feeling pressure to optimize you know, sort of to succeed with those new metrics, you know, because that's what got you distribution on the platform.
0: We're already seeing Congress react to reporting. Senators Richard Blumenthal and Marsha Blackburn announced a bipartisan probe into the Instagram research. And we have been saying, police yourself. Well, what we know now is that social media lacks the discipline to police themselves, so it will be up to us to say you cannot market to children. You cannot allow children that are 13 to open an Instagram account. Some people who study social media have shared concerns that Facebook may in the future stifle more of this critical internal research that you surfaced out of fear that it could be leaked again. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a reasonable question to ask is, you know, well, should Facebook stop looking at itself in the mirror if, um, if it doesn't like what it's seeing. I, I, I get that thought. That said, um, the reason this research made it to me is because the people who I worked with were very clear that it wasn't getting acted on appropriately in the first place. And so what I would say is that there is a need for other mechanisms of transparency, and I think that, that reporters are a long-term poor method of transparency. End of the day, it, this can't be the way we learn about something this transformative in our lives.
0: How has Mark Zuckerberg reacted to any of this? Was he aware of any of this?
1: Oh, yeah, no, he's definitely been aware of some of this stuff. Uh, I mean, And it, what were his priorities? Uh, it did seem, I mean, look, in terms of the, the social me- media making people angry— Uh, and kind of promoting divisive content, there absolutely was a concern about how it might affect growth um, and how it might affect metrics that were kind of very core to the platform. And I think it's something that the platform would have to really refocus on because it's not traditionally how it has approached things um, to focus on things other than kind of core metrics like user growth, amount of commenting, amount of interactions, time spent. Like, that's what this company was built around and for decades, going on two decades at this point, right? So... It's a hard thing to just kind of give up on. So I think it's a I think it's a really unusual thing for a founder CEO to rethink his own product this heavily, uh, as it seems like some of the people inside the company are asking him to. And I think that's difficult, and I don't know what comes of it.
0: Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. And thank you again for listening to Recode Daily, my name is Shereen Ghaffari. This episode was produced by Alan Rodriguez Espinoza and engineered by Paul Robert Mounsey. Let us know what you want to learn more about. Email us at recodedaily at recode.net.